Morning, fam. Miss you guys, but uh, good to be together this morning. Happy Palm Sunday. You know, this is kind of the beginning of the Holy Week here, and we actually have a few opportunities this week, a couple things that we're going to do to, I think, really help us connect. Uh, so this Wednesday, we're going to continue to have our congregational Zoom midweeks at 7 p.m., and uh, we're going to take communion together again and really reflect on the Last Supper. Uh, and then Friday, you know, is, is kind of what uh, is known as Good Friday, this upcoming Friday. And so one of the things that uh, that we started doing a couple, a few weeks ago, is a uh, campus ministries across the country and even across the world, we've been doing some joint devos Friday night. And so this Friday, we're actually doing another uh, international uh, um, Good Friday devotional. And so that's going to be hosted by uh, the campus ministry in Boston. And uh, we're going to invite the congregation here to, to join in that time for anyone that would like. That's going to be Friday night at 730. And then we'll be together again uh, for our Easter service here uh, at 1030 a.m. And we're going to continue our Daniel series, but we're going to be looking at Daniel chapter 9, which is an incredible uh, prophecy about Jesus. And so we're going to be focusing a lot on Jesus next week, even as we continue our series in Daniel. Um, so before we get into stuff today, I do want to just send a reminder to go ahead and uh, give online. Uh, if you're like me, I have already forgotten a couple times and I've had to go back and, uh, you know, we, we set up automatic giving. So that kind of makes that easier. But you can go to our website, freestate.church and click the give link at the top. But uh uh, guys, let's go ahead and jump into it today. So we're going to continue our series on Daniel. And if you're just joining us, I'd really encourage you to go back to our website, go back to our YouTube page, look at the videos and watch the previous series on Daniel because it's going to, it's really going to help bring in some uh, significant context that's really going to help in understanding the book of Daniel and really grasping it in a powerful way. Uh, so I typically do a, kind of a detailed recap each week. But there's a couple things that I want to cover today, so I'd like to just go ahead and jump right into it. So I'm going to kind of skip the recap. So I'd really encourage you, go back and watch our previous videos. Uh, but we're going to do things a little bit differently today, because typically what we've been doing is we're kind, we've kind of been alternating. You know, one week focusing on, uh, you know, in one of the incredible faith-building practical lessons from the life of Daniel— and then the following week, we kind of break down one of the incredible faith-building visions that's given to Daniel. And so today, we're actually going to do a little bit of both. And my lesson today kind of has two parts, okay? And so uh, at first, we're going to look at and break down one of the visions Daniel's given in Daniel chapter 8. Uh, and that's going to really magnify and just highlight just how powerful God is, how sovereign God is. And then the second part, we're going to follow that up by focusing practically. And today, kind of, you know, the overall idea of what I want to talk about is pride. I want to talk about the pride that can grow in our hearts and the humble posture that we should take in the presence of God. And we're going to look at a couple of the different rulers that Daniel worked under and, and learn from their examples or bad examples, I should say. But uh, let's go ahead and get into it today. Okay, so go ahead and turn over to Daniel chapter 8, and we're going to start in verse 1. Okay, Daniel chapter 8, starting in verse 1. It says, In the third year 
of King Belshazzar's reign. Okay, so this is probably around 551 BC, okay? In the third year of King Belshazzar's reign, I, Daniel, had a vision after the one that had already appeared to me. In my vision, I saw myself in the citadel of Susa in the province of Elam. In the vision, I was beside the Ulai Canal. I looked up and there before me was a ram with two horns standing beside the canal and, the, and one horn was longer. Uh, one of the horns was longer than the other, but it grew up later. I watched the ram as it charged toward the west and the north and the south. No animal could stand against it. No one could rescue from its power. It did as it pleased and became great. As I was thinking about this, suddenly a goat with a prominent horn between its eyes came from the west, crossing the whole earth without touching the ground. It came toward the two-horned ram I had seen standing beside the canal and charged at it in a great rage. I saw it attack the ram furiously, striking the ram and shattering its two horns. The ram was powerless to stand against it. The goat knocked it to the ground and trampled on it, and none could rescue the ram from its power. The goat became very great, but at the height of its power, the large horn was broken off, and in its place, four prominent horns grew up toward the four winds of heaven. Out of one of them came another horn, which started small, but grew in power to the south, to the east, and toward the beautiful land. It grew until it reached the hosts of the heavens and threw down some of the starry hosts down to the earth and trampled on them. It set itself up to be as great as the commander of the army of the Lord. It took away the daily sacrifice from the Lord, and his sanctuary was thrown down. Because of rebellion, the Lord's people and the daily sacrifice were given over to it. It prospered in everything it did, and truth was thrown to the ground. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said, How long will it take for the vision to be fulfilled? The vision concerning the daily sacrifice, the rebellion that caused desolation, the surrender of the sanctuary, and the trampling underfoot of the Lord's people. He said to me, It will take 2,300 evenings and mornings. Then the sanctuary will be reconsecrated. Okay. So we know that this must have been an intense vision, right? You know, Daniel at this point is somewhere around the age of 70, okay? And it says, you know, later on in the chapter that the dream was so intense and troubling and appalling that Daniel was drained and burdened and exhausted and he was bedridden for several days. And so we're going to kind of, we're going to break this, uh, you know, this vision down. Uh, you know, because he has this vision and we're dealing with two beasts, okay? There's a ram with two horns, but one of the horns is longer than the other one, even though it grew later, and it charged toward the west and the north and the south. No one could stand against it. It did as, it's, as it pleased. But then all of a sudden, a goat comes from the west, flying across the earth, okay, in this furious battle, it strikes down the ram, and it had a prominent horn, one prominent horn, and, and, and this goat was so powerful, uh, no one could stand against it, but then at the height of its power, that horn was broken off, and four horns grew to replace it, and from one of those horns grew another horn, and uh, that from that horn 
grew. Uh, you know, we, we see just these terrible times where uh, there's once again kind of a, a war waged against God's people. It says truth is thrown down and, tra you know, trampled the starry host, took away daily sacrifice from the Lord. The sanctuary was thrown down. So that's kind of this vision that Daniel gets. And so we're going to break this down, okay? Uh, now, for the sake of time, I'm going to kind of give a, you know, a kind of a quicker overview, a kind of a historical overview of, of, you know, some of the interpretations of this vision. I'm not going to cover every single detail, but I'm going to hit the high points, okay? And keep in mind, this vision took place in 551 BC. Now, uh, my biggest fear in covering the book of Daniel as in-depth as we are is that these visions, we don't become numb to these visions, because we're reading so much, this can kind of be kind of detailed and meaty. You don't have to memorize all of it. Okay, that's not the point. The point is not for you guys, you know, to learn, for us to learn and talk about a bunch of history or a bunch of details. The point is for us to just, just let it soak in and realize just how incredible God is. That's the point of this. Oh my goodness. God is so sovereign. He's so mighty. He's so powerful. He's so in control. God rules the nations. So don't try to memorize all the details that I'm going to share. Just soak it in and realize, oh my goodness, this vision was given in 551 BC. Okay, so let's break it down. So we've got these two beasts and we know that these beasts represent two kingdoms. We're dealing with the Persian empire and the Greek empire. Okay. And so this ram represents the Mede Persian dual empire. And it talks about how it has two horns, but one of the horns grew longer than the other one, even though it grew later. And that was true. You know, really Persia was kind of a small, weak province within the Median empire. Persia didn't come into power until quite a bit later, but Persia grew to become much more, the much more dominant part of this dual empire, largely thanks to Cyrus. Okay, so this is this two-horned ram, and, and the Persian empire, as it continued to grow in power, basically conquered the Near East at that time, okay? And so uh, Persia just continued to grow, and it conquered uh, other empires as it grew, you know, in Daniel 7, we, you know, he, he kind of referenced Persia as this bear with two sides. One of them was hunched up and it had three ribs in its mouth representing, you know, the three kingdoms that it conquered. Uh, here we see this rams charging toward the west and the north and the south. Um, and it's actually interesting that the ram was kind of the, uh, you know, the guardian animal that Persia took as its own. So that's kind of interesting there. But, the, you know, Persia grew, no one could stand against it until Greece shows up, okay? And so this shaggy goat that comes on the scene, we know to be Greece, and there's no doubt that this prominent horn is Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great is one of the greatest generals and empire builders in human history. Without question, you know, you know, he he uh, was so privileged to learn from some of the greatest minds and, and generals of the time. You know, his dad, Philip, uh, the Macedon, he was an incredible war mind. And then at, at a young age, you know, his dad sent him to Athens uh, to be trained by Aristotle, one of the most brilliant intellectual minds of the time. So he had all this incredible training and he's 
around the age of 20 when he upstarts his army. And so he takes kind of a kind of an upstart army of, of a few thousand soldiers, and Persia didn't even take it seriously. But after a couple years, Alexander the Great conquered, destroyed Persia with over 200,000 soldiers. Just in a few years, it had grown that much. And the following decade was filled with Alexander the Great's army marching, flying across the known earth and conquering everywhere and everyone. Everywhere they, they stepped foot, there was victory. They, they went from basically Greece to India and just swept everything. No one could stand against it. Victory after victory after victory. His empire grew, you know, what seemed overnight to this incredible empire. And, and so much so to where after 12 years of this, 12 years of constant war, constant victory, his soldiers refused to go any further. Um, and so, uh, but then at the age of around 33, Alexander the Great got sick and he died in 323 B.C. And so he, he had a baby, but obviously this, you know, his empire was so vast, he didn't have an heir to leave his empire to. And really, it was almost impossible for one person to rule it. And so there was this period where some of his generals kind of rose up and fought against each other for power over this empire. And they ended up establishing these four different dynasties that kind of made up the Greek empire. And so from within these four dynasties, okay, another one rises up. Another dynasty kind of comes and, uh, and gets established. And that's where we eventually get to a guy that I've referenced a few times known as Antiochus. Okay, Antiochus IV. He kind of raises up from within one of these dynasties. And as we've talked about, which we're going to go into a ton of detail on Antiochus uh, in, a, in a couple weeks. But, uh, you know, this little horn that grew up from one of the other four, you know, Antiochus waged war against God's people. He systematically set out to Hellenize and spread Greek culture and do away with the Jews and the Jewish culture. And he heavily persecuted them. He completely desecrated the temple. He had a statue of Zeus put up in the temple. He would sacrifice pigs on the altar to God. He outlawed circumcision, punishable by death. He orchestrated sexual acts to be done on the temple grounds. Okay, I mean, I mean, just complete and utter desecration of the temple. And this was one of the most terrible times, offensive times of God's people. Uh, and this lasted, you know, there was, there was a few year stretch where, the, you know, this was going on, and it was just—it was a terrible time. Okay, and so that's, guys. We've got to try to soak in what just happened. Okay, because Antiochus, his desecration of the temple was in the 160s BC. So, 551 BC, God is giving Daniel incredible details about what's going to take place over the course of the next few hundred years with these other world empires, down to the details of the amount of kingdoms Persia is going to conquer and the kingdom that's going to come and conquer Persia and the, you know, its greatest king. But then at the height of that king's power, it will be broken off and four other kings are going to rise in its place. And from one of those kings is going to come someone who's going to desecrate the temple. 
And then it says that it's going to last for 2,300 evenings and mornings. And then the, the, it's going to end, this time period is going to end with the reconsecration of the temple. Okay, and so th there's a couple different ways that this can be interpreted. I'm not going to go into all uh, of that today. Okay, we're, we're not going to address all that today. But I can just kind of reference a few of them. I'd really encourage you to, to really dig deep into the book of Daniel. But there's a couple possibilities of this interpretation. Number one, you can take these 2,300 evenings and mornings, which make up one day, an evening and a morning, uh, you can take that to mean 1,150 days, okay, which is just a little over three years. Now, sacrifice was outlawed November 167 BC, and the temple was reconsec reconsecrated December 25th, 164 BC, just over three years. So that's one way you can interpret that, or you can interpret 2,300 evenings and mornings as 2,300 days, which is right around six and a third year, okay? And that's about the length of time Antiochus's terror uh, was in Palestine. So either way, we won't get into all the details and all the different possibilities, but either way, guys, this is, this is incredible. Possibly down to the month, God's telling Daniel in 551 BC what's going to take place around 164 BC, a few hundred years before it ever even happens. So remember, guys, once again, what's the point of these visions? What's the point of us talking about all this? We, we can't allow ourselves to get numb to, to how incredible this is. The point is not for us to understand all this history about Alexander the Great and the Greek Empire and the Roman Empire and the Persian Canada. The point is... God is sovereign. He is so powerful. We have nothing to fear. God rules the nations. He is so in control. He is so mighty. He is so incredibly powerful. I mean, my goodness, what more do we need, right? That's the purpose. That's why we go over these things. But as sovereign, as big as God is, Sometimes we can start to think that we're bigger than we actually are. And that's, that's where I want to shift gears a little bit here. And I want to kind of talk about our second part to this sermon, okay? Um, and I want to talk about the pride of man, the pride that can grow in our heart. Okay, because as big as God is, we can sometimes lose sight of that. And we can start to think that Maybe we're the ones that are in control. We can start to think that our power, our influence, our success is a little greater than what it actually is. And that's why I want to focus in because, guys, pride is a tricky thing. You know, there are many ways to define pride, and it can show itself in many different forms. And I think sometimes we can, uh, you know, we, we can think that pride is reserved for the you know, the obvious, arrogant, type A diva, or, or it's just reserved for leaders, right? Uh, you know, like me, okay, like whatever, that, like whoever you picture in your mind as that prideful, arrogant leader, whatever, uh, I hope it's not me, but uh, 
that's kind of what we, we kind of peg. Uh, that's what pride, those are the people that struggle with pride. But that's what's so tricky about pride is it can grow and it can show itself in our hearts in so many different ways. And nobody, nobody is immune from pride growing in their hearts. And so what I want to look at today is a couple, a couple ways that pride manifested itself in the hearts of these two different rulers that we see in the book of Daniel. And so a few years ago, like I said, there's many ways to define pride. I kind of came up with my own definition of pride that, that I think is general enough to help us grasp it, but really makes sense to me. And so this is the definition that I'm going to kind of refer to in regards to pride as we're talking about today. You know, in my definition, pride is losing sight of where you stand in reference to God. Losing sight of where you stand in reference to God. And we just looked at this incredible vision. We skimmed over it real quick, but that magnifies just how huge God is. And subsequently, how tiny we really are. But we can start to lose sight of that. And the bigger we start to grow in our minds, the smaller God starts to shrink in our minds, we start to lose sight of where we truly stand in the presence of God. In reference to how mighty and powerful and sovereign and humongous God is, when we lose sight of where we stand in reference to God, that's when I believe pride starts to grow in our hearts. And so I want to look at these two rulers. Okay, let's turn over to Daniel chapter 4, and let's talk about Nebuchadnezzar. Okay, so we're, we're kind of rewinding a little bit. Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel chapter 4, and let's read in verse 29. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is not this the great Babylon that I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of of my majesty. As the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people. You will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like an ox. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the most high is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth, and he gives them to anyone he wishes. Man, right? So, so Nebuchadnezzar, he's king of Babylon. Babylon at that time was, you know, one of, if not the most powerful empire in the known world. He's standing on his balcony. He's surveying his kingdom, the great city. And he's just, he's feeling himself a little bit. Is not this the great Babylon that I have built with my mighty power. Now, in studying context of Daniel, who built up Babylon? Whose power built the great empire of Babylon? Whose power raised up Nebuchadnezzar? Was it Nebuchadnezzar himself? No, right? Like we study out this book and it's so obvious 
that God built Babylon. God raised up these nations. He raised up these different kings and he tore them down. But Nebuchadnezzar had lost sight of where he stood in reference to God. Is not this the great Babylon that I have built? He couldn't even finish his sentence and God steps in and says, you're done. And so guys, you know, this week, I've been studying out Daniel, obviously was the last couple weeks I've been working on this sermon. And and I had a moment, I kind of had a Nebuchadnezzar moment that that it just struck me. And so, you know, Katie and I, we're we're fortunate to... uh, to work with campus ministries on the country, we work on a committee, whatever. Uh, I, I was working with this group, and I had what I thought was an incredible idea, okay? I threw it out there, and it got incredible reviews. I mean, oh man, this would be awesome. And so that idea eventually ended up happening, and it went incredible. I mean, it was so effective, uh, it, it was just, it was, it was an awesome idea. And, you know, the, uh, the, we're talking with this group and there's a, oh man, hey, I want to, I just want to give a shout out to so-and-so for that incredible idea. But it wasn't me, right? The shout out was to somebody else. And so I'm sitting there and we're all talking just about how incredible that was. And I'm sitting there thinking, I'm not getting the credit that I deserve for this incredible idea. And I, I remember it just struck me and I had to stop what I was doing. I talked to Katie about it and I, I you know what, I need to go pray because this is, there is some ugliness in my heart. And, and as I was praying, I started to realize who do I think I am? What great I thought my idea was. And I realized, man, You don't have to be some mega king of some empire to have the same pride that Nebuchadnezzar had growing in our hearts. And I realized that, gosh, I was so focused on what I thought was my great idea. Who do I think I am? Guys, we've got to be careful that we don't lose sight of where we truly stand in reference to God. You know, we're most, and here's the deal, we're most at risk from this type of pride growing in our hearts the longer that we've been around. Because over time, if we have any, any, as it doesn't matter how big or small it is, any level of success in any way, okay, any level of credibility, any level of wisdom or experience, the longer we've been around, it can be success in raising kids, it can be success in your careers, it can be success in some type of leadership role, it can be success with leading ministry, it can be success with whatever. Over time, the more success or credibility or experience that we gain or wisdom that we think we have, we can start to grow this sense of entitlement checking our hearts, if we're not constantly kind of recentering ourselves and realizing where we truly stand in reference to God, if we lose sight of that, this same pride can grow up in our heart. Guys, we've got to be careful that we do not lose sight of where we stand in reference to God because the reality is we are so insignificant 
we are so powerless. We are so puny and teeny tiny in the grand scheme of things, especially when we stand in the presence of God. Any success or experience or wisdom that we may have ultimately comes from God. Who are we to ever think that we deserve anything? And so the longer that we're around, the more in danger we are of this pride that we see in Nebuchadnezzar growing in our heart. Guys, we can't lose sight of where we stand in reference to God. And that's what I admire so much about Daniel. In Daniel chapter 2, you know, it's kind of a prayer that Daniel says after God gives him the ability to interpret one of these dreams. In, in Daniel 2.20, he says, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells within him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Guys, if anyone had, was in danger of losing sight of where he stood, it, it could have been Daniel. This guy helped rule two kingdoms. He was elevated over all of his peers. I mean, it talks about how he was wiser than anyone in the kingdom. No one could even stand up to his wisdom. Or, you know, he was, he was incredible in every single way. Yet he never lost sight of where his success truly came from. He never lost sight of where his wisdom truly came from. And so, guys, we've got to be careful and guard our hearts and not lose sight of how teeny tiny and insignificant we truly are in the presence of the great and mighty and sovereign and powerful Most High. Turn over to Daniel chapter 5. You know, fortunately for Nebuchadnezzar, he eventually humbles out. But his grandson, on the other hand, Belshazzar, uh, was not so humble. Uh, he, he didn't have quite the same ending that Nebuchadnezzar had. And so Daniel chapter 5, let's look in verse 1. We're going to look at another way that pride can kind of grow in our hearts when we lose sight as to where we stand in relation to God. Daniel 5 verse 1 it says, King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. So the king and his nobles, his wives, his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his nobles, his wives, his concubines drank from them, and they drank the wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, of iron, of wood, and stone. Guys, this, this scripture is so utterly appalling. The disrespect and contempt and arrogance shown by Belshazzar is just shocking. He takes objects from the temple of God 
and he uses them to get drunk and have a party. Not only is he blaspheming God by doing this, but he's also engaging in idolatry. They use these things and they start worshiping and praising the gods of gold and silver and bronze and wood. Guys, this would have been like spitting in the face of God. Belshazzar clearly had lost sight of where he stood in relation to God. Because here's the deal, guys. If you actually know and are aware of who God is, if you actually have an accurate view of how mighty and powerful and sovereign God is, there are lines that you would not dare cross. And Belshazzar just shows a complete disregard for any of that. Totally disrespectful, spitting in the face of God. And I think it's because Belshazzar in his mind was pretty big and God was not so big. And as appalling as this seems, we can experience this same type of pride and arrogance that we see from Belshazzar. We can also lose a fear of God the same way that Belshazzar did. We can treat things that are sacred to God with the same casual, calloused, and disrespectful heart and attitude that Belshazzar showed. The way we treat his church, the way we treat his children, the way that we can claim the name of Christ and the grace of God, yet use it as a means to justify sin in our life, we can engage in the same type of idolatry that we see in this scene. We can worship money and houses and cars and careers and comfort. And so as a Paul, when we read this story, it can just seem like he's so far gone. But guys, we are not immune to this same type of pride. When we lose sight of where we stand in reference to God, and we start growing a little bit more comfortable with crossing those lines, and a little bit more comfortable, and a little bit more until we start to grow bigger, God starts to grow significantly smaller, and our fear of him just about disappears. You know, there's scriptures that talk about how, how dreadful it is to fall into the hands of the living God. That's what happens here to Belshazzar. Look, look in chapter 5, verse 18. So he, you know, a hand appears. It, it writes this message on the wall. Daniel's pulled in to interpret this. That's where our, our, our phrase, the writing on the wall, comes from. And in Daniel 5, verse 18, Your majesty, the most high God gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Because of the high position he gave him, all the nations, the people of every language, dreaded and feared him. Those the king warned to put to death, he put to death. Those he warned to spare, he spared. Those he wanted promoted, he promoted. And those he wanted humbled, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people, given the mind of an animal. He lived with wild donkeys. He ate grass like an ox. And his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign 
over all the kingdoms on earth and sets over them anyone he wishes. But you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heavens. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you. You and your nobles, your wives, your concubines drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold and bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Man, how dreadful it truly can be to fall into the hands of the living God. Guys, we've got to learn from Nebuchadnezzar, from Belshazzar. Guys, we have got to guard our hearts from losing touch with where we truly stand in reference to God. If Daniel has shown us nothing else, it's shown us how sovereign and in control and mighty and powerful God is. He holds our lives and our ways in his hands. Guys, I pray that we never lose sight of that. And if we have, we've got to kind of come back and recenter ourselves, get on our knees and re-humble ourselves to God. And thankfully, that's what, that's what Nebuchadnezzar does. And in, in a second here, we'll close out with, with just a really powerful prayer that he says. But guys, I want to ask us and get us to reflect on where our hearts are at this morning. Do you see yourself accurately in view of God? Or have you lost sight of how mighty and powerful and sovereign God truly is and subsequently how teeny tiny we are? I'm not sure where you're at as an individual, but I think as individuals, I think as a church, and I think as a nation, guys, we've got to humble ourselves to where we stand in relation to God. I think God, even through everything that's been going on, has shown us just how tiny we really are. We've built, we have built one of the most powerful nations in the history of human, you know, mankind. And in a couple weeks, it's been brought down to the ground. Guys, we, at our best, are still so tiny. And God is so mighty and so sovereign. And I pray, guys, that as individuals, as a church, as a nation, that we can come before God on our knees and re-humble ourselves and realize where we truly stand in relation to God. And so what I'd like for us to do is this week, have some good discussion about this. In your times with your family group, in your discipling times as a, as a household with your spouse, have some discussion about a couple things. What would it look like for you to have a, uh, have a heart like Nebuchadnezzar? You know, in your life, in your context, what would it look like for you to reflect the same heart that we saw from Nebuchadnezzar? And same thing with Belshazzar. What would that look like in today's context for you, for your ministry, for your family group as a church what would it look like for us to have the same heart that we see from Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar? And then what would it look like for you to really humble yourself? You know, and so I think it'd be great this week for us to spend time just in prayer to God 
reflecting on how sovereign he is and really, really grasp how insignificant and tiny we are and humble ourselves before him. Okay, and so unfortunately for Belshazzar, this was kind of game over. That night, Persia shows up and wipes out Babylon without a fight. And there's even some incredible historical accounts of it. Uh, but Nebuchadnezzar humbled himself. And so I want to read, we've read it before, but this is one of my favorite passages in Scripture. In Daniel chapter 4, as we get ready to close here, in verse 34, it says, At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the people of earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out. I, restored, I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Guys, let's spend some time on our knees this week, humbling ourselves before God. And I pray that we do not lose sight of where we stand in reference to our mighty, most high God. So guys, I want to close our time with, with prayer. And, uh, you know, please, if you're able to, remember to go online and give. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, we come before you, God, just studying out the book of Daniel. You know, we looked at just one, one vision today and kind of flew through it. But God, when we take all of these visions we see from Daniel and, you know, pull them all together, we see that between five and 600 BC, all the detail that you gave Daniel hundreds of years before it even happened. God, when you add them all together and combine them all, it is just mind-blowing. And it truly shows us how sovereign you are. God, you truly rule the nations. You hold our lives in your hands. And God, I pray that we would never lose sight, that we would never lose sight of your might, of your power, of your glory, of your sovereignty. And God, I am so sorry when we start to think that we are bigger than we actually are and we start to lose sight of where we truly stand in relation to you. God, we are so tiny. We are so insignificant. God, in the grand scheme of things, you rule the nations and we are just... We're just a flash. We're just a, a mist. God, I, I'm so sorry for the ways that we can think that we deserve credit for anything. God, think that we are something special. God, if, we, if we've had any level of success in any area of our life, I'm so sorry for the times that we try to give credit to ourselves and hold ourselves in high honor for that. 
God, I pray that we would never lose sight that any wisdom or any experience or any success that we experience only comes from you. I pray that we can imitate Daniel's humility in that. God, I'm so sorry for the times that we can have that same pride that we see from Belshazzar. God, that we can grow bigger in our minds and you can, you can shrink in our minds and our fear of you can get diminished and we, be, we, we can become so comfortable crossing these lines that we shouldn't dare cross. God, as a nation, as a church, as individuals, I'm so sorry, God, for the arrogance, for the way that we disrespect you, even for our Christian society, for the way that we can claim the cross of Christ, claim the grace of you, claim the name of Jesus Christ and treat it with such disrespect and such casual hearts. God, I'm so sorry. God, I pray that we can come before you humbly on our knees and kind of recenter ourselves and realize where we truly stand in reference to you. But God, I'm so grateful that as mighty as you are, as insignificant as we are, that you love us so much. It just, all of this not only just magnifies your strength and your might and your power, God, but also it magnifies your love, that you would come down for us and die for us and care about us so much. God, I'm so thankful for you. And I just pray, God, that we can truly have humble hearts toward you. God, thank you that you're in control. Thank you that you're sovereign and that you rule the nations. God, we 